Well, good morning, Elevation. I have been told that I have to summon you back from your conversations. I apologize. Someone had to do it, so I guess it's me. Make the new girl do it. Well, hello again, Elevation. I am so glad uh, to see uh, that you're back. Um, for another trip into the wilderness, I was nervous. I was nervous that maybe I had made you sad and you weren't coming back, but I see that a lot of you are here. And uh, for those who may have missed it last Sunday, hello, my name is Elle. I work for an organization here in Canada called the New Leaf Network. Feel free to check us out online. I didn't mention that last week, uh, newleafnetwork.ca. Uh, I have the privilege, because of that work, of connecting with um, literally hundreds of pastors, church planters, a number of denominational leaders, neighborhood catalysts, just folks who love Jesus, who care about Canada, who want to have conversations together. And so uh, I have known Melissa, like I mentioned last week, for quite some time and have been a fan of Steve Copeland uh, for a number of years in ministry circles. So it really is a privilege for me to be here. Maybe you got a chance to uh, catch the recording from last week, and if you did, that's wonderful. Uh, but if you didn't, and this is your kind of first time hearing this, I just want to do a really quick review. Uh, not a long review. I had a lot of graphs. I have no graphs this week. I only have one slide, so I, I took it easy on you. But I just wanted to remind us and just ground ourselves a little bit in the reality of what we have been experiencing here in Canada. I think sometimes when we are in our local spaces and places, um, rightfully so, we get very invested in what's happening here, and we forget that there's a whole other country with all sorts of other people who are thinking about and wrestling with a lot of the questions and longings that you are as well. I shared some statistics and some data that we just got from the religious landscape in Canada. So if you are a statistics nerd, welcome. It's lovely over here. And we just got the most updated information from the census that was released two weeks ago. You can check it out online on StatsCan, but I do believe some slides may have been sent out as well, um, and that kind of can get you, um, you know, get you interested in it, hopefully. I shared that the proportion of non-religious Canadians has more than doubled in the past 20 years to 35%. So that means that those who are asked on a survey, hey, what's your religion? They choose none. And those numbers across the country also change. So as you move further out west, it increases. And so it's actually 50% of the adult population in British Columbia who say they have no religion. So when we talk about religious designations in Canada, the fastest growing religious designation is none. I always find this topic fascinating. And sociologists of religion have looked at these numbers over the last 25 years, and they've long wondered, is there some kind of a connection between the numbers of decline in the church and the numbers of increase in those who say they have religion? And so for this uh, year, the first time at least, StatsCan said they also think there may be a connection. We talked about the decline that every single denomination and theological tradition is experiencing with the exception of our Orthodox brothers and sisters who've picked up a few percentage points with immigration. And although Canadian uh, Christianity in Canada remains the majority religion, which may be interesting to some folks, maybe some people didn't even realize that, that 53% of the population would still say, yes, I'm a Christian, whatever that might mean. In 2011, it was 67% of the nation who would have said that. 
and in 2001, 77. So those numbers, just crazy when you look at them. At least it feels that way to me. I grew up in a faith that was very certain of itself. Maybe you experienced that kind of same spiritual formation. We were very sure of our beliefs, of how we behaved, of who was in, of who was out. We had a very predictable script for our life together as Christians. I don't know about you, but it was church twice on Sundays. That was for the really holy people. We went in the morning and the evenings. Then it was Pioneer Girls on Wednesdays. Anyone else Pioneer Girls? Yeah, I see those hands. And then, of course, youth group on Fridays. And though my parents would never have agreed that making uh, that you would turn into a car if you hung out in a garage, they really did hope that I would turn into a Christian hanging out in the church. And maybe, maybe they were right, sending me to church all of that time. Who knows? But for a lot of us, things have changed. And bless you, dear brother and sister, if you feel like the edges of your life are very smooth and you have no doubts and things seem very set and certain, bless you. I mean that. But for a lot of us, we have been trying to follow Jesus in Canada, and it feels a little wind-whipped out here, a little dusty, even if we are hopeful. And so if you would permit me to use that analogy for one more week uh, of the wilderness, I think we're kind of already there. The GPS signal for many of us has been lost. Even if we're holding tight to our belief in Jesus and really trying to follow him, we really do know that things around us have changed. I love drawing attention to the story of Jesus in the wilderness. Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite writers, has a great line that says, Jesus decided he would what he would and would not do to manifest his vocation as God's beloved in the wilderness. Simply put, he decided that against all the obvious exercises of power to relieve his wilderness situation, he just wouldn't take them. I love thinking that that story has a lot to teach us, that Jesus seemed to turn down protections, he went hungry, made himself empty for some new thing that God was going to do. And at first glance, when we see numbers like that, some of us may be tempted to do something about it, maybe through power. We panic. I certainly don't mean to offend anyone's sensibilities here, but I'm sure we've all remembered the conversations well. If we just put prayer back in school, that would fix everything. If we just had the right people in power, we could legislate some change and hearts would turn to God. I as, don't mean to point fingers here to say that, but I do think it points to this feeling that a lot of us have, this nostalgia that we experience, this nostalgic-laden myth, really, that Canada is falling away from this golden age of Christianity, and so ensues panic and danger. And so as I have prepared for these two talks, <laughs> I've realized I need about 10 weeks to talk about all of this. So I apologize if you feel like there may be gaping holes in this conversation because, well, uh, there are. Um, feels like I need about 10 weeks just to let it crack open in my heart, let alone try to have that happen in yours. And so what I promised you is that I would not come and depress you again this week with difficult statistics, but rather to point out the hope that I have been seeing across Canada in the wilderness. I promised I would share some gifts. I promised that I would share you some things that are giving me hope and excitement and maybe even some practical suggestions that you could consider at Elevation. I had a lot of stories that I had to cut out of my time. Things about innovation, 
of ways that churches and communities have been trying different things. I love what you're doing for Advent, by the way. That seems like a very wonderful innovation, something different. Uh, that's a great example of how communities have been trying new things. I have lots of stories that I could tell you about missional conversations where people have started coffee, coffee shops and all sorts of different outreach ideas to be present in their neighborhoods. Some people who've started them in their garages. Uh, I have so many wonderful stories, but a few things I wanted to touch on that have been giving me hope. Uh, I can only pick three. So the first that I wanted to talk about with you is multivocational ministry and mutual, mutuality. So first, a few words about multivocational ministry. Maybe you have never heard that term before, and that's okay. Maybe you have heard it described as co-vocational ministry or bivocational ministry. It's really just fancy words for pastors who have more than one job, if that makes sense. For a lot of people who are in ministry, for leaders, for communities like yours, the days of a full-time pastor are over. For many churches, multivocational life really is just a symptom of the wild. Communities are just tasked with doing the same, but with less. And so for some, it's just become unavoidable. There just isn't enough money for full-time work. Or maybe it doesn't make sense to give one full-time salary because that person really doesn't have the gifts, skills, or abilities to fill all the roles that need to be filled at a church. But the gift of the wild is that for some, it's actually become a missiological choice something that they actually do on purpose, something that they actually structure towards. So for many, this fully embra embraced way of life reveals patterns and habits that actually sync so much better with what we read in the New Testament when it comes to pastors and church leaders. A first century approach, I guess, to a 21st century situation. So beginning in 2016, uh, the organization I work for, New Leaf, we were part of um, a multidisciplinary research team for something called the Canadian Multivocational Ministry Project. And while our research originally came from the perspective that, ugh, poor people, they have to work three jobs just to make it work, we looked at it from a scarcity model. We looked at it as diminished, diminished resources. We looked at it as, oh man, pastors and ministry leaders, this is tough. But what we found were actually completely um, opposite kind of results. Of the Canadian pastors and church planters that we had um, surveyed, almost all of them, if offered, would never go back to full-time ministry. They would never go back to full-time pastoral work. They felt that the divide of the sacred and secular was a huge theological misstep of the past. That being present to culture, connecting in roles across their cities, these multivocational leaders saw and experienced opportunities for transformation in their own communities. They felt a real sense of meaning being present in a locality, a richness to their connections. They felt it was really good for their soul. They actually felt it was really good for their church, that they weren't solely dependent on one income. It freed them to be more honest in their teaching, to press harder into social situations and conversations, and it found, if they found that they were less tempted to find their whole identity as a pastor or a leader. The need for prayerful imagination and practical creativity in the wild turned out to be a blessing. Now, I'm not saying everyone thinks it's a blessing, all times, all places, but that is what our research showed us. An unexpected gift from the wilderness that may not have been present to us if we had had lots of money 
and lots of resources. And a brief word about mutuality. Multivocational leaders and churches who embrace this way of life together by its very nature means it's more of a team mentality to get the tasks done for a church. So you may be thinking, why am I talking about pastors? We're not all pastors. Yes, but you attend a church. And when a pastor doesn't have a full-time role or you have a team, it changes the life of your community. It means that we have to do the work together to be the body of Christ. Mutuality in teams or these multivocational teams means a bit more sense of mutual submission, of, of teamwork, of pulling together. It also means that you, the royal priesthood of believers, gets to be a part of it too in more meaningful ways. No more paid professional holy person. No more sage from the stage. No more one-man show. The mutuality of leaders is needed in the wild. We need it. And perhaps that is actually another gift because in the family of Christ, we all have a role to play. So these two things, multivocational ministry and mutuality, gives me a lot of hope because I don't think the answer to uh, toxic or not great churches is no churches. I think the answer is healthy, life-giving churches. And I think that multivocational ministry and mutuality is a way to get there. When I was young, or maybe even not that long ago, uh, uh, our main goal, so, so many times it feels, is we got to get as many people in the door as we can so we can tell them the good news of the gospel. And I know that that desire comes from a good place. For the most part, it's pure. We want people to taste and see and know that Jesus is good and that he's worthy to follow and that he's worthy to love. And the idea that we would be tasked with living incarnational lives in our neighborhoods well, sometimes I don't really remember that being talked about a lot. But as we saw last week with some of our statistics, some of our neighbors, not all of our neighbors, maybe our coworkers, they don't just see us as weird people that go to church on Sunday mornings. Some of them are deeply suspicious of our motives. They don't really understand the good news that we are talking about. They see the headlines, they see the news, and they think, I don't know, I don't know about those people. I literally remember my neighbor asking me, are you that kind of a Christian? I don't know about you if you've ever had that asked of you, but I knew exactly what she meant. And so folks like that likely probably aren't coming to our churches. And so a gift of the wilderness is that Jesus followers, just like you all across Canada, are opening up their living rooms and their kitchens and their backyards and their front porches to be outposts for the Spirit. This way of living in and among a particular place and people while practicing the way of Jesus together turns out it's going to be a very necessary combination. Not just for our own spiritual formation, because I actually think that's very good for us, but I think it also becomes a radical demonstration of love to our neighbors who aren't really sure about us. So less about programs that churches can run, even though those are important, but maybe equally as important is presence in the places that we have found ourselves. I know that Steve just talked about neighborhoods, so I won't go on about that, but I do know that there's something beautiful happening in churches that are considering or trying to live out a return to the neighborhood, a return to those living room liturgies. And I think that's a gift that the wild is giving to us because I must confess, that's not something that I experienced in my spiritual formation. Just checking the time. Okay, so finally, friends, something I would like to remind us. 
This isn't our first rodeo in the wild. Apparently, we have been here before. And so I want to confess something to you. I don't know about all of you, but I really don't know a lot about Canadian Christianity and its history. I feel like I know a lot about the last 20 or 30 years, but once you get past that, oh boy, I do not know very much. I know a lot about what has happened in the United States. <laughs> um, but I really don't know a lot about like what Christianity was like in the 1800s and the early 1900s. And I'm taking a guess that maybe that is also the same for you. And so at New Leaf, for two years, we took two sociologists of religion and a historian of Canadian Christianity on tour across Canada to churches and places who would have us to try to share some of the data. As you can imagine, that's not everyone's idea of a fun Friday night. I understand. But that tour actually turned into a book written by Dr. James Robertson, who's a dear friend and assistant professor of history uh, at Tyndale, a Christian history, sorry, at, at Tyndale. And the book is called Overlooked, The Forgotten Origin Stories of Canadian Christianity. You can buy it where all fine books are sold. Maybe not all, but some. Um, Robertson paints such a compelling picture in this book. I highly recommend reading it. Um, I just really knew nothing <laughs> about Canadian history when it came to Christianity, and I learned a lot. And what a lot of those stories in the book revealed is that Canada really has never been this overarching um, Christian nation. He found treasures like census data from the 1840s that lists that 16.7% of upper Canadians had no creed. Isn't that interesting? And that during the 19th century, Protestant churches could really take little credit for the growth or even financial stability that they had um, these historians, they found these notes that said it was not a result of effective evangelism or even Canadian revival, but rather any growth that the churches saw at the time was all coming from immigration. He shares this data from the religious census in 1901 that shows we've always kind of had this large contingent of people who say they have no religion in Canada. So he found um, information that over 67,000 Canadians, when asked on a census in 1901, said they had no religion. That blew my mind. At the time, that group of people was actually larger than the Lutherans, the Mennonites, those who went to the Salvation Army, Jews, or Orthodox Christians in Canada. And so for many of us, even though we see the decline, and I want to show the decline, and to be honest about it, um, for the most part, we've never really been this dominating narrative in Canadian society. Even though our tiny sliver of evangelical world, for a lot of us, may have made it feel that way. So one of the gifts from the past is that it can actually offer to us wisdom gained from experiences that have never happened to us. And I think that's really important because oftentimes we get our story so confused with our brothers and sisters to the south. I think there is an incredible freedom and excitement in being a Jesus follower in Canada today. It's a freedom that maybe some previous generations haven't fully experienced. It is a freedom in this spiritual wilderness to co-create with God, to be whoever we sense the Spirit is calling us to be as communities and as individuals. And I think this freedom is partly because, and forgive the crassness of this statement, 
most Canadians just don't care that much about what we're doing. Some are suspicious, some sure don't love us, but most people just really don't care. So that means all we can do is pleasantly surprise them, right? We have the opportunity to pleasantly surprise them. And if you think about it, a huge part of our Canadian identity, not just our Canadian church identity, is wrapped up in the fact that no one really thinks about us very much at all in Canada. I don't know about you, if you've had this experience, but one of my favorite memories, tra traveling to Italy a few years ago, uh, we met up with some fellow travelers from Europe and they guessed every other country in the world that we could be from until they finally decided it must be Canada. We were last on the, least, on the list. Not even our closest national friends with whom we share a border gives us that much serious thought. When people use the word North American, they are mostly just talking about American. And so the good news of that statement is that we can try and do and be new things as the Spirit guides us. The good news is that not only has our faith as Christians given us lots of information and tools and stories about the wilderness, but Canada has also given us, as the church, all the tools and the experience that we will ever need to be in this wilderness. So I don't want to pretend that there won't be challenges moving forward. Some we can guess, some we can maybe sense are coming, but I do think that we can head into this current religious landscape with some confidence, with some hope, with some kind of wild old seed that needs a good long stretch in the wilderness to come to life again. Churches all across Canada are reorganizing their leadership structures. They're hanging out in living rooms and front porches as living liturgies more often. They're listening more to the Canadian culture around them, more than prescribing. They're repenting, more than trying to import revelation all the time. And my guess is that for the body of Christ, for the long haul, this season in the wilderness is actually going to be really good for us actually going to be really good for us. Jesus, the one we desire to be formed by and look like, he knows all about the sorrows and the joys and the gifts that the wilderness can bring. And I keep sensing as I talk to people and connect with people across Canada, the Spirit keeps reminding me that Jesus is Lord of the wilderness too. And this weird desert moment that we might feel we're in is actually not against us. It's for us. And if we're listening really well to the Spirit, then we should always be hearing uh, that we are following this way of Jesus and that following Jesus somehow has always been tangled up with the truth that finding our life is also somehow connected in losing it and that there's often no rising up without laying down. We are supposed to be death and resurrection people. I know we don't love the death part. But something good is coming, right? Now, I know, I'm just aware of my time, I know that John Piper may have bid him goodbye, but Rob Bell was really the first person I ever heard give a benediction in his sermons. That was a very particular joke, but it's okay if you didn't get it. You bid him farewell. Anyways, this tradition for me then was carried on by a Canadian national treasure called Sarah Bessie. And it's this benediction, this way of praying over people um, at the end. And so I feel like I've traveled with you for a couple of weeks. Uh, I've been holding you in my heart for such a long time. 
that if you would allow me to pray a quick benediction for us um, as we go out from this place. And so for you, uh, my fellow brothers and sisters at Elevation, I pray that all of us would keep our eyes open for signs of the presence of God. We know that you are always up to something, Holy Spirit. You're hovering over the wilderness. You're always bringing life. Thank you for the joy of this moment. Thank you that you are present with us right here and right now. Thank you for journeying with us and being in this wilderness moment with us. I pray for you, Elevation, that you have bravery and guts and honesty for this discernment moment in your current context and in the life of your community. I pray that as you continue to follow Jesus together, that you will become, even more fully than you already are, a beautiful expression of the church in Canada here in Waterloo Region. And I pray most of all that you, my friends, would experience the wild and inclusive and generous, invitational, disruptive, welcoming love of God and the sorrow and the joy and the weakness and the strength and all of it wrapped together that would, it would fill you with such longing for God's dream for this place that you can't help but live it out. Amen. Thanks, everybody.